Here I am to worship. So the title of our message today, you know, we are creatures as human beings. We're creatures that crave to worship. You can see it through religion. You can even see it through a lack of religion. Everyone worships something. My question for you today, what do you worship? You know, worship is a tricky word that we usually use to label the part of a service where we sing. Sometimes we use it to define or label a genre of music. You know, that's contemporary Christian worship. That's Christian worship music. But outside of that, the word really isn't used all that much. It can be a confusing word for those who are not familiar with Christianity and some of the things that we value and do on a weekly basis. Sometimes those things to non-Christians can seem pretty strange. But we throw the word worship around like we all know what it means and understand what it is when our actions say otherwise. Today I wanted to look at a crash course in worship by looking at a few different passages of scripture that follow instances in a few people's lives that show us what it means to worship and how we can shed light on how to better be worshipers of our Lord, Savior, and Creator. The first point, if you want to fill it in on your outline, is worship as sacrifice. Worship as sacrifice. In the Old Testament, if you read about sacrifices and the processes that it involved to sacrifice something, one could walk away thinking Christianity is a violent, gruesome, and brutal religion. One could probably hardly stomach some of the rules and regulations that were done to sacrifice an animal. Some of the other options were incense offerings, which were more like burning a sensi than working a day in the Manning family packing company. But sacrifice has always been a concept tied to worship, even in religions other than Christianity and Judaism. I will save you some of the details of a first century cult sacrifice that I read about two weeks ago. But if you really want to know about it, mention it to me after the service. Sacrifice has been ingrained in religion since the fall of Genesis 3. But that doesn't mean that we sacrifice animals as part of worship services today. And we have to ask why. Well, we'll answer that question in the later part of the service. Today, we're going to look at those three aspects of worship. How they're used in scripture to help us truly understand what it means. And the first one is worship as sacrifice. Looking at the first time the word worship is used in, in scriptures in Genesis 22. Genesis 22 shows us the account of Abraham. And Abraham is about to sacrifice his son Isaac. Starting in verse 1 of Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire 
and the knife, and two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on that mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and that you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. Make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore, and your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in. Beersheba. Now we're going to look at three different passages of scripture and we're going to talk about them all together. The next one I want to look at is in Matthew 2. Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all his people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And then the star, when they, they had seen, it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they returned to their country by another route the last instance where we see uh, what we're going to look at today where we see worship as sacrifices in Daniel 3 another familiar uh, account another familiar story King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon he then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. 
Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of a horn, a flute, a zither, lyre, harp, or any kind of music, all nations and people of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and whoever does not fall and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews you have a set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the flute, the horn, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, any kind of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship this image that I have made, very good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship this image of gold that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace he did seven, hot, seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of his strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, their trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Now, in all three of these instances, we see three different sets of people, 
We see Abraham and Isaac. We see the wise men, the Magi, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all willing to sacrifice as a part of worship. Abraham is willing to sacrifice his only son that he has waited for so long, and I guarantee it cherished the time that he has had with him. Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born, and he had been wanting a son for so long. God promised him the son, and then one day God says, I want you to sacrifice that son to me. And Abraham was ready to do it. Now we see a lot of parallels in Isaac and the sacrifice that he was going to make with a sacrifice later that we would see in the New Testament. You see, in Isaac, we see the means, the wood is on his back that he carries up the mountain or the hill. There's another figure in the New Testament who would eventually die with wood on his back as a beloved son, as a sacrifice. His name is Jesus. The wise men traveled long and far to get to the young boy, Jesus, and bring him these gifts that would have been very expensive, but all yet symbolized something that was sacrificial on their part, giving up a lot of time to find him. Because Generally, a lot of scholars think that by the time that they found Jesus, he was a young boy. This has taken years. The gifts that they give him would have also been extremely expensive, and that's another sacrifice that they're willing to give up in worship of this young boy, Jesus. And then they ultimately risk their lives by avoiding Herod and defying his command to report back to him after they have found Jesus. Another strong example of worship and it involving sacrifice. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not worship Nebuchadnezzar, but only will worship God. And they go as far as willing to sacrifice their own lives to defy the king's command and say, we will not worship you, but we'll only worship God. See, worship is not about what you get from it, but what you give to God. That's sacrifice, and that's worship. Louis Giglios once said, quote, Worship is us giving God his breath back, end quote. And that involves sacrifice. Whether it be something you want to do or not, a song you do or don't like, a person you do or don't like, it should always be about how can I give God the most praise honor and glory in this situation point number two is worship as service worship as service and depending upon your translation of the exodus plagues god tells moses to tell pharaoh to release his people so that they can go worship or serve him in the wilderness the apostle paul describes his work that he has done in all the churches in the uh, time of the New Testament as service and worship to God. And all of these points are squishy and fluid. They mix with one another and run into each other because there aren't really harsh lines and distinct divisions in worship. And worship as service can also be seen as worship and sacrifice. But it comes down to what you serve and what you value. What you serve and value will lead you to answering a question of what you worship. And that is why a lot of times I pray to help remind myself and others that everything we say and do should honor and glorify God, giving him worship. Serving others and serving God is an act of worshiping 
God. Looking at one of the accounts of the plagues in Exodus 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. And then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. And this is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will change into blood. The fish in the Nile will die. The river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink of this water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff, stretch it over the hand, over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, canals, over the ponds, all the reservoirs, and they will turn into blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded, and he raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh, and his officials struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad the Egyptians could not drink the water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned, went into his palace, and did not even take this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. In Acts 24, uh, Paul gives an account of his worship uh, before a governor while he's on trial and says, all the works that I've been doing through my whole life has has been an act of service and worship to God. Acts 24, verse 1. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to, uh, to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about many reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, and even dest- even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The, others, the other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. And when the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone in the temple or storing up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men have themselves, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges that you have anything against me. 
or the, those that are here should state what crime they found me in when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it is one thing that I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. See, Paul brings up that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Later, he clarifies what exactly he was doing. He says, I had come to present offerings and bring gifts to the poor. Serving others was worship. In Exodus, God shows us that serving him is worship. The word is interchangeable depending on the translation, and I think the only reason that that makes sense is because worship and service are so tightly connected. See, who or what are you serving? Answering that question can help us determine what we worship. Even looking at the question outside of the context of religion or Christianity, I see people worshiping and serving something all the time. There are people who worship sex. There are people who worship money and possessions. There are people who worship celebrities. There are people who worship sports teams. There are people who worship things every day because we crave to worship. But Christianity gives us an outlet for our worship that is the only thing that truly deserves our worship, our Creator. Lastly, our last point is worship as life. Worship as life. See, to this point, this is where we should be in our understanding of worship as Christians. To this point up till here, worship has just been about doing something. Something that I do that correlates to worship, whether that be an act of service or an act of sacrifice. But here, Paul says this is where true worship happens. He wrote about this in Romans 12, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function. Kind of see a similar idea in Philippians 1, 20 through 20. Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That same point is, is expressed in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3, 12 through 17 expresses that same point again. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as many members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the 
message of Christ. Dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit, singing to God in gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. These scriptures apply to our lives and show us that worship not only involves sacrifice and service, but that all, everything that we do as a part of our lives can be worship. And this is where we understand that worship shouldn't be something that we can turn on and off. It isn't something that we can separate. It is our life. I know there are some who think that I can just go to church and it doesn't mean anything. It's just somewhere that I'm supposed to be, somewhere that I'm supposed to go, somewhere where I have to be seen. But let me tell you, if you have a true encounter with Jesus Christ that leads to a relationship with him, you will lead a life that reflects nothing other than true love for him and worship for him in everything you say and do because you have been changed. That is applying these scriptures that we've just looked at. Not only allowing him to be Lord of your life, but living in a way that you want everything you do to be done to the best of your abilities in his name for his glory and his honor. Sometimes that will require sacrifice on your end. Maybe places you go, things you do. Maybe some of the things you watch or listen to. Maybe that requires sacrifice on your end by glorifying God in a situation you don't like. But how you respond to any of those things can be an act of service and worship to God. And when this becomes natural, you are living true worship and as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Because every action that you will make, every word that you say will glorify something. My hope and prayer is that they will glorify and honor God with every action and every word. It's not limited to music. It's not limited to something here in church. You can live worship. the point at the bottom of your outline who or what do you worship with your life today see I don't know where you are or what your life looks like right now but maybe you have to reevaluate some priorities maybe you want to set some things right and get back on a path of doing everything to the best of your abilities that you have been blessed with to glorify your Lord and Savior today or maybe you've never made that decision and today you want to start on that path. Maybe your path has had some worship roadblocks and you want to get those out of the way and make Jesus the Lord of your life today.